Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Christian Sager, and this is the second part of our Cannabis Files episode. Uh, We're taking a deep look at the science behind marijuana, and in particular in this episode, we're going to focus on its medical applications. Uh, And the thing about medical applications with marijuana that's interesting is we've known about them for a very long time. Uh, This isn't something new, right? Like, you've only heard the term medical marijuana in maybe, what, like the last 20 or 30 years here in the United States? But uh, this goes back thousands of years. Yeah, I feel like it's easy to to sort of to hear about uh, medical marijuana, or certainly to, to have heard about it earlier on, and, and think to yourselves, oh, this is just marijuana users trying to legitimize their right. recreational use by saying, oh, it's actually yeah. good for you. But... But but really, our uh, our relationship with uh, medicinal marijuana goes back a long time. Yeah, so we're going to give you a little bit more than Doug Benson's Super High Me documentary here. Uh, this is going to be you know a real deep look at the earliest known medical uses of medical marijuana, and then the actual beneficial properties of cannabis and the ways that we're researching it right now because we're. You know, as far even though as far back as it goes, we don't we haven't really nailed it down, right? At least right. like in the empirical sense. Yeah. So this is there are a lot of open questions here. Uh, as we mentioned in our last episode, you could easily do an entire podcast series um, just looking at all the different research uh, um, examples out there and yeah. all the different applications. Uh, and all we are trying to do is give an, a nice overview. Uh, with some uh, some detailed discussion uh, where it makes sense. Uh, as always, if there's an area that you want more clarification on, you have a couple of different options. Yep. You can check out that uh, How um, Medical Marijuana article works over at HowStuffWorks.com. You can also let us know, hey, why don't you do a uh, different, uh, like an, an entire episode just on this one little area and sure, you can yeah. consider doing? Yeah, yeah. It would be great if you let us know what uh, particular, you know, subsect of this uh, information that you'd like us to go a little further down. I mean, when we're doing the research for something like this, we really have to keep the net wide. Right. Now, in our last episode, when we were talking about just uh, humanity's long history with marijuana and how it uh, how cannabis uh, originated in uh, in perhaps India or Central Asia, and it's just spread out from there over uh, the uh, over the over thousands of years, uh, we mentioned that the earliest uh, written account goes back to what uh, twenty seven hundred BCE. Yeah, something like twenty eight maybe, but yeah. yeah, it's like well, very long time. And uh, so you, you might have been wondering then, like, who? What's the details on this? Who who wrote what? Well, I am here to tell you the the uh, writer in this case is the mythical emperor Shinong, uh, the divine farmer and founder of Chinese herbal medicine. Really, the the, the founder of, of Chinese medicine in general. And uh, he allegedly, and I say allegedly because he's a very much a mythological figure. It becomes just sort of. <laughs> lost to history to right. what extent this is real person was what a, is myth yeah was yeah. he a combination of people or something like that exactly right? because yeah. yeah he's a very he's a divine figure in in chinese history and mythology. Oh, like maybe thousands of years from now people will say that about alexander shulgin they're like surely <laughs> this person couldn't have existed shulgin the shulgin the great the, yeah the divine uh, architect of mdma um <laughs> 
But uh, according to, so, so basically, Shinong wrote, uh, the Shinong Binkao Jing, or the, the, the great herbal. He wrote this around, uh, 2700 BCE. And according to myth, uh, Shinong either tasted hundreds of herbs or thrashed them with a magic whip in order to learn their properties. I'm going to go with the tasting, although <laughs> that would that would be like, like let's say you're in a D&D campaign and you find an item and they're like, it's a magic whip and you cast your identify spell and they're like, it can tell you the properties of marijuana. Yeah, I mean, it would be a useful item to have in a role-playing campaign. I, yeah. Is that poison? I don't know. Let me yeah. my whip. It's a det- it, there you go. It's the detect poison whip. Yeah. Okay. But this also drives home just sort of the mythical nature of Shinong. Yeah, Real person, totally. uh, divine figure, some, you know, con- convergence of the two. Uh, it, you know, it, he's really both. Now, according to one of the legends that involves him actually sampling the herbs, he once consumed 70 poisons in a single day in order to bring uh, herbal medicine into the world. So, wow. Okay. So he, you know, that sounds on one level a little more relatable, but then on the other, 70 poisons in a day would surely be enough to kill a, a normal mortal. So, yeah, well, that whip, he, he was able to tell exactly how much he could take. Yeah. <laughs> so the book in question says that if taken in excess, cannabis, quote, will produce hallucinations. If taken over a long term, it makes one communicate with spirits and lightens one's body. Okay. And I think that based on the, uh, the, the different, psychological and physical effects that can occur with marijuana use. Uh, that sounds like Shinong hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, I I never had any of the uh, communicating with spirits applications or symptoms, but that sounds like it would have been... That sounds like it, if there was like a cultural sort of uh, surrounding that like communicating with spirits was a regular thing, right? That, right. that you would, of course, yeah, kind if, of go if to there that. was already a script for it, uh, because... Based on the research I was looking at, like there's no there's no real sign of, of actual hallucination occurring yeah. in and of itself, unrelated to other symptoms, underlying symptoms or psychological conditions or other substances mm-hmm. with cannabis. Yeah. Now, might you close your eyes and see cartoon characters? Very possible. Depends on yeah. how strong your imagination is. Yeah, yeah. Right. So there are a number of factors involved here. So in Chinese traditional medicine, it's known as ma. And I want to clarify, I want to remind everyone here that my Mandarin is uh, horrible. So Ma can, depending on how you pronounce, pronounce that M-A uh, in, the, uh, in, in English, uh, you can mean horse, you can mean marijuana, you can mean mother, um, but this is the form that refers to cannabis. Uh, and it was used to treat uh, absences of yin, such as female weakness or menstruation, gout, rheumatism, malaria, uh, beriberi, constipation, and absent-mindedness. <laughs> that last one's interesting. Yeah, especially right. given what we've uh, talked are about. Are you absently minded? Yeah. Here, have some, have some, have some of this. Yeah. That'll help. Huh. Um, also, you see in traditional Indian medicine, you see marijuana used for its sedative, uh, relaxing, uh, uh, anti-anxiety, anti-convulsant actions, as well as uh, uh, an, uh, for analgesia, appetite stimulation, and uh, also to uh, prevent and reduce fever, as, as well as antibacterial effects as well. So, again, as we've been saying, it's, it has been used for a very long time for medicinal purposes. Well, yeah, well, like like we've been saying, you know, we've known about it for such a long time, but here in the U.S., we only have one federal farm. Uh, it's in, at the University of Mississippi. I don't know huh. why there, but uh, 
that's where a lot of the testing is done. And in this particular, you know, uh, clinic, I guess, has received millions of dollars in grant funding to track adolescents over 10 years and to see what the effects of pot, alcohol and other drugs are on them. But that's really like, you know, l- like I mentioned in the last episode, like there are, are other researchers like that, that guy, uh, who is like collecting the DNA. But like I said, like he can't collect the marijuana and bring it back. He has to get the DNA on site and then bring the DNA with him back to his lab because mm-hmm. transporting it would be illegal. Uh, except for at this one place at the University of Mississippi. And, and those properties that Robert just, you know, had mentioned earlier, those are the medically beneficial properties that we're looking at today too, right? right. It's like, it's like, this thing that we knew and somehow forgot and are now rediscovering. That's what we're, we're waving the, the, the scientific magical with that. Right. In yeah. order to, uh, to learn the properties. Uh, and you know, they're largely, the therapeutic benefits are largely attributed to what are called plant derived terpophenolic compounds called phytocannabinoids. Uh, and the human body, like we talked about last episode, uses the endocannabinoids to modulate physiological processing like our appetite, pain sensation, mood, memory, inflammation, insulin sensitivity, and fat and energy metabolism, right? So there's a lot going on there. It's a very complicated system within our brains. Uh, so, you know, how can we use cannabis in order to sort of manipulate, speed up or slow down or expand those processes uh, for our own benefit when we're sick, essentially. Uh, one way has been to develop synthetic cannabinoids. Uh, and by developing those, that helps us understand the biology of what's going on here, especially when it comes to pain management, inflammation, cancer, and neurodegenerative diseases. Yeah, and ultimately the creation of synthetic cannabinoid medications, mm-hmm. medications that are based on cannabis. But there, like, that's a whole, then you get additional problems that come in, right? There are concerns sometimes about effect, the effectiveness of it, as well as the costs involved. Uh, yeah. Because, it, you know, not to play too much into the whole uh, sort of natural cannabis versus big pharma thing, but yeah, yeah on this, it's hard to ignore the fact that on the surface of it, you have a plant that grows in the ground versus a pill that is manufactured and patented and sold. Yeah, and it's important that we distinguish that there those, there are two different ways of uh, medical application here, right? So there's the quote-unquote medical marijuana, and that's just actually the plant material or an extract from it that's derived from different strains that are reported to have medicinal properties. And you have to have a prescription from a state-licensed physician for this. And keep in mind, this is the important thing. This is the distinction that a lot of doctors make. There's no human clinical testing on medical marijuana, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just kind of trusting the dispensary that you're getting the particular strain that's going to address whatever issue you have. Yeah, it is a Schedule One narcotic uh, yep. here in the States. Um, so, like, cocaine is more legal than marijuana, yeah. Uh, yeah. for anyone not familiar with that, because cocaine technically has medical benefits that marijuana does not. The second way, though, is what we were talking about with the synthetic thing. That's the biopharmaceutical companies where they develop a cannabis-derived drug using conventional U.S. FDA regulatory pathways. So an example of this would be uh, there's a company called GW Pharma in the U.K., and they've developed a product called Sativex, 
uh, and that's for cancer-related pain and for multiple sclerosis spasticity. But this drug costs reportedly around sixteen thousand U.S. dollars per patient to use. Uh, so, you know, those are the pros and cons there, right? The physicians approve that because it's been run through human trials, but it's super expensive. Whereas the medical marijuana hasn't been run through trials, but it's relatively, I mean, I don't know how, I wouldn't say that it's inexpensive, but right, like it's not $16,000 per instance. Right. So, okay, regardless of if, it, if it's synthetic or medical marijuana, here's how we think it's working. Remember what we talked about in the last episode about the endocannabinoid system and the brain processes? It's thought that the cannabinoids that are in cannabis interact with two protein receptors through our body, the CB1 and the CB2. Now, the CB1 receptors, these are most prevalent neurotransmitters that are in our brains and nerve systems, nervous systems. They're found in our basal ganglia, in our hippocampus, in the cerebellum. We think they're involved in affecting our appetite, mood, motor function, and neurocognition. The CB2 receptors are almost exclusively in our immune system. Now that's really interesting, right? You don't think about that when you, when you think about like smoking pot, like as, as a, like being beneficial or, or, or even adverse to your immune system. All that stuff we talked about in the last episode. Uh, but yeah, so that's where the CB2 ones are. They mainly appear in tissue where there is cellular pathology. And these seem to be responsible for anti-inflammatory and analgesic effects. Okay. And so in some of that, we're getting into pain management. We're also mm-hmm. even getting into potential cancer-fighting properties as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've been using these in clinical settings for a while now. Uh, we use them for pain, for cancer, for multiple sclerosis, like we talked about. The problem here is very similar to the problem that we talked about with MDMA in those previous episodes, the psychoactive properties that go along with the THC, right? So uh, it's got a concentration that's based on whatever, the plant variety, the preparation. So pure THC can be derived naturally or produced synthetically, like, like we talked about. Now, on its own, THC also has anti-inflammatory and anti-emetic properties, but its development is hindered by its psychotropic effects, right? You can't have one without the other. Right, and so you're talking about potentially high doses to treat something, but then the person may just sit there staring at the wall thinking about death or something. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah, it yeah, might yeah. be just the psychotropic properties would just be too high. Right. And, and in some cases, THC drugs have received FDA approval, uh, for instance, like as appetite stimulants for chemotherapy patients or, mm-hmm. or, or to reduce nausea and vomiting. But yeah, you've also, you've got that side effect there. Um, and, and, you know, some people don't want that. Uh, the other problem is, like I mentioned uh, previously, THC uh, tolerance develops in people after a certain chronic usage. So uh, it, it limits the clinical applications of it being used as a medicine for those, for those things I mentioned, like cancer and MS, uh, because after a while, it stops working. Yeah. Now, THCV is is one of the particular kinds of cannabinoids that's an ab- abundant, non-psychoactive phytocannabinoid that's in cannabis. And the studies show that this particular uh, chemical has anti-convulsive effects in animals. So it's thought that it can be used for epilepsy. And then we have CBD, which is a non-psychotropic uh, cannabinoid in cannabis, and it can be uh, 
anti-epileptic, anti-inflammatory, anti-emetic, muscle relaxing, neuroprotective, and anti-psychotic. Uh, it's been uh, evaluated for treating epilepsy and schizophrenia, and CBDV is an homologue of CBD and is being developed to treat epilepsy as well. Yeah, and CBD has also shown promise in limiting neurological damage in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's patients, uh, as well as people who just have suffered strokes or particular kinds of head trauma. One of the things that's really interesting about this to me is, as we discussed last episode, an adverse effect is if you're genetically predisposed to schizophrenia, chronic marijuana use has been shown to make it more likely that you will develop schizophrenia. Right, to sort of kick things off, uh, serve as a you know, precursor. Yeah, but at the same time, here's a chemical within cannabis that could be potentially used to treat schizophrenia. So it's all about really just kind of understanding how these things interreact with one another. Yeah, and determining like what is the appropriate... Uh, dosage per individual yeah. per condition. It kind, of, yeah. it kind of comes back to the memory thing, the idea that it could be used both, you know, it could be used inappropriately and make you focus too much on a negative memory, or it could yeah. be potentially be used to treat post-traumatic stress yeah. uh, disorders in which you have to sort of de-associate the negative memories surrounding, uh, you know, particular triggers. Yeah, they're calling it memory extinction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's powerful stuff, but right, like, it's two sides of the, the same coin. Right? Memory extinction, also a uh, a good name for a brand of uh, for a strain of recreational uh, <laughs> marijuana. I, I wouldn't be surprised it, if it's it probably already, already there is, somewhere yeah. in Seattle. There's so many them. Um, and then there's also a CBG, uh, which is also reported to relieve intraocular pressure and has in- anti-inflammatory properties. So there's a lot of this where it's the anti-inflammatory thing. It's like it sounds like, you know, instead of taking an ibuprofen or something like that, uh, maybe this would work. But, yeah. you know, the ibuprofen has its own adverse effects. Uh, there's a give and take, you know, you got to sort of be aware of like what each thing is doing to you. Exactly. Um, and that CBG one is being evaluated for multiple sclerosis and inflammatory bowel disease. Now in clinical usage, cannabis is largely being used to help chronic non-cancer pain and neurological diseases like MS and epilepsy. But it is also being used in oncology because it's helpful with chemotherapy, like I mentioned earlier, with the nausea and the vomiting side effects as that, as well as it's a painkiller. Yeah, and uh, and, and also individuals with chemotherapy, uh, undergoing chemotherapy for a number of reasons, they... Um, they, they're suffering from de- decreased appetite in many situations, and this is, can be a way to stimulate the appetite yeah. and get the individual motivated to to eat uh, the food they need to eat. Right, like where we, whereas we joke about like the munchies or something like that, and like oh whatever, like whatever silly joke about like when I have twelve pizzas or something like that after <laughs> you smoke weed, like. That's something that can really help people who are having a hard time keeping their food down. Yeah, I mean, I always go back to, uh, what was it? It was called It Came From Hollywood. It was a fabulous uh, film that came out when I was a kid uh, that had uh, these various comedians like Gilda Radner, Dan Aykroyd, really? John Candy, okay. but also Cheech and Chong oh, yeah. doing these yeah. bits about old old sci-fi and horror movies. Uh-huh. You know? And so there was a segment where Cheech and Chong are going into the movie theater. And I couldn't begin to understand any of these references at the time. But um, Cheech just gets a normal popcorn. But Chong, he 
smoked up before he went in. Sure, yeah. So he has the munchies, and he ends up coming into the theater with a garbage can full of popcorn, because he kept saying, is there a bigger size? Is there a bigger size? Uh-huh. And they eventually just give him a trash can full of popcorn. Uh, and that's like a, a comic version of the munchies. Yeah, yeah. But this is a very real effect of cannabis consumption. Totally. And one that we can utilize to to help patients who need their, their, their appetite encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that we often forget is that there are some conditions that make it hard to eat. So when we're talking about this effect, when we're talking about the munchies, for, for lack of a better word, um, it, it's all tying into cannabinoid receptor 1, CB1R. And researchers have long recognized that, uh, that, that this, uh, this is the receptor that can contribute to overeating. And uh, there's actually a recent study came out in the past um, past year uh, from the Yale School of Medicine, and it uh, shed a lot of light on the particulars of what's going on. So by manipulating the cellular pathway that uh, mediates marijuana's actions in the brains of transgenic mice, they observed the key role played by a group of nerve cells called uh, pro-opiomelanocortine, or POMC neurons. Now, normally, these are considered key drivers in reducing eating when we're full. So you smoke um, a normal tobacco cigarette, and the nicotine makes POMC neurons more active, curbing hunger. Right, okay. And yet, the THC actually reduces hunger hunger by activating these same POMC neurons. So that's right, the same mechanism that normally turns the, the hot donut sign off in, in your brain, uh, <laughs> THC turns it on. And that's a fact that actually su- surprised the Yale researchers. Uh, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to validate these findings and figure, figure out exactly what they mean. But scientists hope that increased understanding of THC's effect uh, on appetite will enable the development of better appetite manipulators, both uh, for weight loss as well as uh, encouraging appetite in individuals undergoing chemotherapy treatment. Uh, and so connecting back to oncology and its uses there, there's growing evidence that cannabinoids on their own have anti-tumor and cancer-fighting effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why is it's thought that they suppress proliferative cell signaling pathways. They also inhibit blood vessel formation and encourage apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. And you may remember us talking about that in the MDMA episode because MDMA does the same thing. So the idea there is basically that it would encourage killing the, these malignant cells in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly this is because, now remember that endocannabinoid system in our brains, it plays a role in the life and death of individual cells in our bodies. So that seems like a, a very promising avenue of research to go down. Indeed. I mean, it. this is, this is an area where it, it definitely reminds me of running across statements online in the past where individuals have said, Marijuana cures cancer, and that is why it is outlawed, because the government and Big Pharma do not Uh, want you to have the cure for cancer because they want to sell you the treatment for cancer. That, of course... Is that is an over? It's a gross simplification. Gross simplification that <laughs> yeah. w- makes sense in a, maybe an alternate version of reality, but not in yeah. our our real world played by wicked problems. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but but still, you you see shades of that of that scenario in the reality of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, uh, so to drill down a little further into the science of it, those CB1 and CB2 receptors we mentioned earlier, those are found in higher concentrations in tumor cells, mm-hmm. specifically the ones that are surrounding normal tissue in a whole variety of cancers. So cannabinoids may also inhibit tumor cell growth while sparing normal tissue. So this is something, you know, along with the MDMA research that is well worth uh, pursuing. And like I mentioned at the top, we've only got one place in the whole United States where we can do this kind of thing. But, you know, mid to late clinical trials are underway uh, to see if it can be used therapeutically, both uh, in oncology, but also with things like Huntington's disease, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, and, uh, you know, as I mentioned, schizophrenia. So some of these same properties that make uh, cannabis a promising treatment for um for individuals undergoing chemotherapy. Uh, it also makes it a, a promising uh, treatment for individuals who are undergoing treatment for HIV and AIDS, mm-hmm. uh, specifically when you're getting into, into things like appetite loss. Uh, and uh, as well, you know, we, we've discussed it, its effect on the immune system. And, and certainly uh, uh, the immune system is, is, a, is a vital area of consideration uh, when we're looking at the treatment of, uh, of HIV and AIDS. Yeah, I think like uh, when we're talking about, you know, the, the immune system thing we've only just now gotten into and we're halfway through our second episode here but like uh just just keep in mind like there's over 500 different chemicals yeah. in cannabis that can do a whole variety of things and we're only now kind of just parsing it out yeah and then of course when you get into into pain which we've been talking about here um some types of pain, such as uh, peripheral neuropathy, they respond better to marijuana than to conventional pain relievers. Uh, and there, it's also shown promise in treating chronic pain and muscle spasms. We've already touched a little bit on post-traumatic stress disorder in this mm. episode and the previous ones. But, yeah, studies, studies have shown that marijuana may be useful in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. Specifically, there's a 2014 study published in the journal uh, Neuropsychopharmacology, and they experimented on traumatized rats, which... Uh, they did traumatize themselves with electrical shock. As right. It wasn't did. like they went out and found traumatized right. rats. They, <laughs> they made, made traumatized rats. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they found that synthetic cannabinoids can prevent behavioral and physiological symptoms of PTSD by triggering changes in brain centers associated with the formation and holding of traumatic memories. So, so yeah, that's that extinction. Memory extinction, as we yeah. mentioned earlier. So, yeah, and this gets down to the the, the general idea that, that that PTSD involves these uh, these just strong, um, you know, overly uh, stressed connections yeah. uh, in 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 your memory involving these traumatic events in the past. And so here we see the potential for marijuana, uh, for for cannabis to 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 lessen those binds, right? Mm-hmm. And it's definitely worth reiterating, especially if you didn't listen to the first episode uh, of this podcast, that. Uh, this doesn't mean that marijuana erases your memories, right. right? It's just that in conjunction with therapy, it can be used to help with post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done here specifically as it, um, as, as it applies to human patients. But, uh, but we do see some, some, some very promising results in this area. But of course, you could say the same for for basically any medical application we've talked about here, right? Yeah. I mean, every area is still being explored. We're still finding out exactly how uh, cannabis uh, affects the mind, affects the body, and how it can be it can be best utilized for treatment. Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do, not just in the sense of like. 
figuring out culturally where we stand on the legalization and medical usage of marijuana, whether that's medical marijuana or synthetic marijuana. But also just I'd like to remind us again from that thing in the first episode that the people who are growing the marijuana don't 100 percent understand exactly what they're growing. And so that project to catalog all the different DNA, figure out the strains, it's going to be hugely helpful for us to sort of parse it all out and be like, OK, uh, this does this particular thing. This one's good for appetite. This one's particularly good for pain management. This mm-hmm. one's good for anti-inflammatory, whatever the situation may be, along with the added benefit of tracing you know, the, the, basically the historical movements of these particular strains of marijuana. So we can see like the, the uh, fascinating history of, of, of <laughs> humans taking pot with them wherever they go. I know it, it always brings me back to, uh, Michael Pollan's book and series, The Botany of Desire, uh, where he looks at a few different substances, though, like marijuana, apples, potatoes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it forces you to, to ask that question, like, is it humans who have manipulated and utilize marijuana, or is it the reverse? Have, yeah. Has cannabis, have these strains of cannabis uh, ultimately been manipulating and controlling humans by providing them with things that they need and want, be that, be yeah. it, you know, clothing and textiles or recreational, um, uh, you know, um, psychotropic uh, um, properties mm-hmm. or uh, medicinal properties. Yeah, or mind-expanding insights for leaders, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, and I'm also thinking, like, and, and this is maybe just, like, you know, very basics of this kind of anthropological look at marijuana, but, like, Again, is it the marijuana that's driving us? Is it like, well, I can't grow this particular crop here, so I need to move south so that this mm-hmm. will grow so I can use it for all these varieties of effects? Is that why we've colonized particular areas <laughs> over time? Who knows? Yeah. But maybe we'll find out. There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of work to be done here. Uh, and I think that in order to get that work done, uh, we, I'm speaking as an American and living in American culture. I'm sure it's very different, uh, in, in other cultures, but we need to take a, a more mature approach to looking at this as, yes, uh, there's issues surrounding our culture and our adolescence and drug use. All of those things are real. However, we need to approach this as this is a plant. It is an, an organic biological thing. It has all these chemicals in it. Let's figure out how all those chemicals interact with all the chemicals in our heads and then catalog those and use them accordingly. Sounds good. But then, of course, we have so many different layers of human meaning that are yep. applied to it. That marijuana is it, it's just a different thing to different people. To some people, it is still this demonic corrupter of youth. Yeah, totally. To others, it is the it is the the, 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 the presence of God. It is the burning bush. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it it just runs the gamut from uh, from like the ultimate good to the ultimate evil, and none of that does is very helpful uh, to approaching it uh, from a purely scientific uh, standpoint. God, yeah, I guess like the the pessimistic way to look at it is like we'll never get there. We're, like we've got this thing right in front of us that holds you know the key to solving a lot of very painful problems in mm-hmm. human existence, uh, and maybe we won't ever figure them out because we can't get over ourselves yeah. and how we approach our, uh, our our relationship with a plant. Hmm. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, these uh, two episodes on cannabis. As we mentioned, 
if there's an area in uh, these discussions that you would like more information on, uh, certainly check out the How Stuff Works articles on marijuana and medical marijuana. They're two separate ones. We'll have links to those on the landing page for this episode at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. But also feel free to reach out to us. Like if you yeah. if you if you reach out to us and say, "Hey, I really want to know more about the post-traumatic uh, stress," let us know. If enough people are interested, like we could do a whole episode on that. And, and oh, maybe absolutely. We will. So yeah, uh, just yeah, just give us some feedback, and uh, that'll help uh, decide our direction. And the best ways to get in touch with us for that. Well, hey, we are all over social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Tumblr, we're on Instagram. Uh, pretty much all those, it's blow the mind, I think. Uh, and we respond, to, or we try to respond to messages, uh, direct ats, however you want to contact us through those communication systems. And then... There's stuff to blow your mind.com, which is our mothership that contains all kinds of further information, videos, uh, articles, other podcasts about similar topics to this one, right? And you can go there, find that stuff, dive in a little deeper. If you didn't find what you're looking for, like Robert said, and you want to reach out to us directly, you're not all that comfortable with the rest of the world seeing <laughs> your, uh, your, your needs and in, in information regarding marijuana. How can they get in touch with us, Robert? Oh, well, you can simply email us at blowthemind at houseofworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 